0: In all the years that I've been preaching, and they are many, I have no idea how many times I've done a series of sermons. matter of fact, most of what I've done is a series either through a book or through a topic. What I've never done is count them until I got to this series. And for some reason, I've gone through this series by telling you which number it is. But there's a reason for that. This is number seven in a series called How God Treats His Children. Now the reason that's important is because I think you need to keep the subject in its total context and it's easy to lose what was said in the first message by the time you get to number seven. The other thing I've done in this series that I do not normally do at all is review. But again, I think that's important because we need to keep this subject in its total context. So the first thing I said in this series is that God blesses his children. As a matter of fact, according to the scripture, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He has given us Every spiritual blessing we need to grow spiritually and become like Christ. It is very important that you keep that first and foremost in your mind. The Lord blesses his children. The second thing I said is that God the Father encourages his children. He does that mainly through his word, but also through other people. That he encourages us to grow and to become like his son. Then I talked about the fact that God disciplines his children as any father should. Uh, The Greek word discipline simply means to child train. So God the Father trains us as his children. And again, the point is so that we might become conformed to his son, Jesus Christ. I mentioned along the way that God can get angry with us. He does not discipline us out of anger. The Bible is clear in Hebrews chapter 12 that he disciplines us out of love, but he does get angry, as I might add, any father does over disobedient children. And every mother and father shook their head yes. Then I came to the fifth topic in this subject, And I simply stated, God will reward his faithful children. Now that is a huge subject in the New Testament that very often doesn't get a lot of attention. There are a lot of facets and nuances to that subject. So it's going to take more than just one message to deal with it. The first message I gave under that topic was the fact that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the basic idea there is to be rewarded. So what is that like? Well, in the next message, I talked about the fact that the Bible uses the word rewards and talks about rewards and sometimes doesn't even use the word. And we looked at most of those passages. What I want to do today is continue The subject of God blesses and rewards his faithful children at the judgment seat of Christ by giving them rewards. And one of the words that's used to describe that is the word crowns. At the judgment seat of Christ, crowns are going to be handed out. Now, what is that about? Well, that's what we need to talk about. I also want to do a second thing under this subject. I want to talk about the fact that the Bible clearly says that some are going to rule and reign with him in the kingdom. Perhaps, and I don't know this for certain, but perhaps the idea of crowns and ruling and reigning go together. At any rate, I'm going to put them in the same message. Now there are other topics that can be discussed concerning rewards like the overcomer in the book of Revelation. I'll cover that next time. And even beyond that there are words that describe our rewards. We'll cover that later. But for today I want us to look at two things, crowns and ruling. If You got that, you got where we're going. But the point is, that God rewards his faithful children. So let's talk about crowns. There are two Greek words in the New Testament that describes crowns. One is the word diadem. That word actually is a word for a royal crown. It's only used three times in the New Testament, and in all three cases, it is referring to Jesus Christ. It is never used of a believer. The second word is Stepanos, and that is also translated crowns. There was a, a wreath crown made of branches woven together and placed on the head of a person who had won a victory or gained public honor for distinguished service. Some have pointed out that in the ancient world there was a crown of leaves, a crown of flowers, and a crown of gold. The crown of leaves was given to the victor in an athletic game. The crown of flowers was worn at a time of joy, like a wedding. The crown of gold rested on the head of a king. So there was a crown of victory, a crown of gaiety, and a crown of royalty. Now it's the second word that's used of believers. It's not used exclusively of believers, but it's used of believers. It appears 15 times in the New Testament. Jesus wore a crown of thorns. That's our word. It's used in the book of Revelation of Jesus wearing a crown and it's used in the book of Revelation of the Antichrist wearing a crown. But as I mentioned, this is the word that is used for believers. It is used of four different crowns that are specifically mentioned, and there is a fifth passage where it's mentioned, and the particular type of crown, uh, specifically, is not mentioned. So I want to look at these Five passages. What do you have to do to get a crown? Are you interested? You ever heard the expression, oh, you're going to get another star in your crown? You ever heard that expression? Well, I want to ask a more basic question. What do you have to do to get the crown? We'll worry about stars later, which we will talk about. But what do you do to get the crown? Does that interest you at all? Now, I'm not talking about going to heaven. Now, most of you who've heard me teach over the years are well aware that getting to heaven is a gift. God gives you without cost, freely, the gift of eternal life. Jesus died to pay for our sin, arose from the dead, and all you have to do to get to heaven is trust Jesus Christ for the gift of eternal life. So this has nothing to do with going to heaven. It has to do with the kind of hat you're wearing when you get there. And some people might not have a hat. So I want to know, are you interested in a hat? You should be. So that's what we're going to talk about. The hat that you get if you get to heaven by trusting Jesus Christ. Now remember That when we talked about the word reward, I pointed out the word means wages. So this is very important that you keep these two things distinct. Salvation, getting to heaven, having eternal life is a gift without cost, it says in the book of Revelation and in Romans chapter 4. But rewards is a wage you get for service. So what I want to know is what kind of service do I have to render so that I get a hat in heaven, or to use the biblical word, a crown. I want to give you four things you can do. And a fifth thing that underlines them all. Turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And look at verse 12. James chapter 1 Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Notice this verse talks about the crown of life. So that's the crown we're talking about in this passage. Notice what you have to do to get it. You have to endure temptation, and then you get the crown of life. Now, there's a bit of a problem here. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and it says, endure temptation. The Greek word that's translated temptation is the one that's also translated trials. So, one way to trans- translate this verse is endure temptation. And another way to translate this verse is to endure trials. So the question becomes, which one is he talking about? And it's not hard to figure that out because the context is clearly trials. He says back up in verse two, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trials. Furthermore, He says in verse 12, endure trials. You don't endure a temptation. You flee a temptation. You endure a trial. Trials are to be endured. Temptations are to be resisted. So this is talking about trials, not temptation. Furthermore, the crown of life is mentioned in only one other passage in the New Testament. It's in Revelation 2.10. And there it is given for enduring a trial, not resisting a temptation. So I think James 1.12 should be translated that, Blessed is he who endures trials, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them who love him. So here's the idea. You have faith and you trust Christ, and you're given the gift of eternal life, you're going to heaven, nothing can change that. That's a sealed, settled deal. Then, the issue becomes, life is full of trouble. Trials. Tribulation. Horrible things. Have you noticed that? Maybe I should ask, have you experienced that? Now, what the Bible teaches is this. If You love the Lord. Now remember, what do you have to do to go to heaven? Faith. Trust Christ. What are we talking about now? Loving the Lord. That's what verse 12 says. This crown goes not to those who have faith, but to those who have love. All right. If you love the Lord, what do you do? You keep his commandments. Jesus taught that. So what's going on here is this. When you encounter these trials, what you tend to do is say, woe is me, and struggle with them, and sometimes throw up your hands. What you should do, among other things, is simply say, what is it that God wants me to learn from this trial? What does he want me to do during this trial? And if you do what he says, learn from the trial. Grow in the trial, which is the whole point of the first 12 verses of James chapter 1. Then, at the judgment seat of Christ, He's going to give you the crown of life. It's not made out of life, it is because you live the kind of life He wanted you to live. So, first crown the crown of life for enduring trials. Got it. Turn to Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. And look at verse 8. Paul says, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. Ah, first crown is the crown of life. The second crown is the crown of righteousness. Not it's made of righteousness, but it's for living a righteous life. You, Paul says, I'm going to get a crown of righteousness, Because it's given to all who love the Lord's appearing. Here we are with love again. If you love the Lord, you will live a righteous life. If you love his appearing, you will live a righteous life. The verse that explains this in great detail is a passage in 1 John chapter 3. Where John says, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it does, it's not been yet revealed what we shall but, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, for everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. That passage is talking about the second coming of Christ for his believers, for his children. And it says that if you have this hope in you, then you will purify yourself. In other words, if you live your life anticipating that the Lord may come right now, today, you're going to have a tendency to behave yourself. You're going to purify yourself. Right? Right. And... If you purify yourself, you're going to live a righteous life, and when the Lord comes back, He's going to give you a crown for your righteous living. Now, all children understand this concept. If you are left at home, and you know for certain that your parents are not coming back for hours, you can get away with anything. But if you thought they could come back any minute, you would be tempted to behave yourself. And that is exactly what the scripture is teaching. If we lived in light of the fact that the Lord, who is standing at the door, according to James 5, could open it any minute and come in, voila, we would be more tempted to behave ourselves. And for that, you get a hat in heaven called the crown of righteousness there is a third crown mentioned in the scripture turn with me to 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at verse 19 Paul says for what is our hope our joy, our crown of rejoicing. Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. Wow. Paul is telling the believers at Thessalonica that he is rejoicing over them, and they are going to be his joy at the judgment seat of Christ. That he's going to get a crown of rejoicing at the judgment seat of Christ because of them. This is often called the soul-winning crown, the idea being that he led them to Christ and he's going to get a reward for doing so. I don't doubt that that's involved. However, uh, this and other passages uh, tempt me to say that he was rejoicing over the fact they had grown. So that he is saying, in essence, I'm going to get a a crown of rejoicing. I'm going to have great joy in the presence of the Lord. Because of people I've led to Christ and people that I ministered to who grew in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now I want to say a couple of things about that. Uh, I want to say something about winning people to the Lord. Uh, as you've heard me say many times, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My pastor led me to Christ when I was 18 years old. And I fell in love with this stuff. I fell in love with the Lord and fell in love with evangelism. I, I, from that day till this, I talk to people of every opportunity I get about the Lord. And I, having had those many years of experience, I want to tell you something. I don't know what's more fun than that. I think talking to people about the Lord is the funnest thing I do. Is that a word? Where's my grammarian? i got two of them sitting on the front row, and they both, one shook their head yes, and one, two shook their head no. You get the point, right? It's just plain joy. I mean it. I think a lot of Christians don't talk to people about the Lord because they're afraid. I have often said there's two reasons why people don't talk to people about the Lord. One is they don't know how. By the way, if you're in that condition, I'd be happy to teach you how in about 20 minutes. And secondly, they're afraid they're afraid of what the people will say or they'll be asked a question they don't know the answer to if that's your case talk to me I can tell you how to get around to all that real quick the point I want to make right now is it's just plain fun I mean I there is nothing I would rather do than sit and talk to somebody about the Lord who doesn't know the Lord that's just plain fun so I think it's interesting that Paul says and and when I Stand before the Lord, I'm going to get a crown of rejoicing. Imagine standing before the Lord and hear all these people you either led to Christ or helped get to Christ. Would that be fun or what? Amen. The other thing I would say is this. Perhaps this includes the fact that he helped them grow. And I suspect that may be involved. The idea is, it's not just for me, it's for anybody who's ministered to people and encouraged them to grow in the faith. I have a couple of things to say about that. You need to grow so that I can get a crown. Does that make the point? And you need to encourage other people to grow so you can get the crown. It is a crown of rejoicing, for ministering spiritually to other people. Turn with me to 1 Peter, chapter 5. There is a fourth crown. 1 Peter, chapter 5. And look at verse 4. Paul tells the elders that if they tend the flock with the right attitude and manner, He says in verse 4, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory, which does not fade away. Those crowns in the ancient world that were made out of a wreath faded away. Paul says to elders, You do your job with the right attitude and in the right manner, and you're going to get a crown of glory that doesn't fade away the chief shepherd is going to reward the under shepherds when he returns so they're going to receive an a crown that will not perish all right how are we doing got it can you list the four crowns i just talked about crown of life crown of righteousness crown of Rejoicing. well, oh, you got that one. And the crown of glory, which amounts to the same thing as the crown of uh, rejoicing because it has to do with ministering to people. So let me boil this down to three things. You want a hat in heaven? Here are three things you can do to get one. Number one, endure trials. Number two, live a righteous life. Number three, go minister to people. May I repeat that? Endure trials, crown of life. Live a righteous life, crown of righteousness. And minister to people, crown of rejoicing. And the crown of glory if you are an elder. All right. There's one more passage on crowns, and it's very interesting because it doesn't mention a specific crown. It sort of mentions all the crowns. Very fascinating passage. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and look at verse 24. Do you not know? That those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So Paul is looking at the Christian life as if it were a race, and at the end of the race there is a prize, and the prize is a crown. And what he's saying is you need to run this race so that you will get the crown. And the crown is not one that's going to perish. We've seen that before. It's an imperishable crown. But what fascinates me about this verse is he said, no matter which crown you're running for, everybody that runs this race is temperate. In other words, in order to get this crown, any crown, you're going to have to be temperate. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word translated temperate simply means self-control. He's saying, in order to get these crowns, you have to be self-controlled. Drop down to verse 27. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight. He's going to change the metaphor now to fighting in a boxing ring. Not as one that beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it under subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself become disqualified. That verse has given people a problems. What do you mean disqualified? From going to heaven? No. We're not talking about salvation. That's a gift. We're talking about disqualification in a race. The subject of this passage is not salvation. It is service. We're talking about being rewarded for service. But the point I want to make is in order to be qualified for the crown, you must exercise self-control. Discipline. The D word. (laughs) Think about it. In order to endure trials, what do you have to do? Discipline. In order to live a righteous life, what do you need? Self-control. In order to not live totally for yourself, but get outside of yourself and help somebody else, what do you need? Self-control. Discipline. Matter of fact, one pastor preaching on this subject, Erwin Lutzer, the pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, said, and I quote, There are many ways to fail in the Christian life, but all of them begin with a lack of discipline, a conscious decision to take the easy route. I'm pausing so you can think about that. I think that's worth repeating. It's like going back for dessert. I want seconds. There are many ways to fail in the Christian life. But all of them begin with a lack of discipline, a conscious decision to take the easy route. You become a couch potato. You do nothing for the Lord. You just sit and take it easy, and you're going to end up hatless in heaven. That's the point. All right, here's what we've said so far. There are four crowns, crown of life, crown of righteousness, crown of rejoicing, crown of glory. You get them for enduring trials, living a godly life, and ministering to people. Got it? But what's it going to take to do that? Self-control. The Bible talks about controlling yourself sexually in 1 Corinthians 7. It talks about controlling your tongue. James chapter 3. Uh-oh. One lady told me once, Pastor, you didn't quit preaching and gone to meddling. You need any self-control for your tongue? Oh, well, that's what it might take for you to live a righteous life. Right? Right. All right i got one more thing to say before we go to dinner. I mean lunch. Turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We've talked about crowns, and now we're going to talk about ruling. And somehow, I suspect, though the never the Scripture never puts these two things together, I suspect these two things may go together. I don't know that but it's a thought. This much I know, there's going to be ruling. So we're discussing rewards. That's part of reward. So it's appropriate we discuss it. I'm in Luke chapter 19 verse 12. A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants. This is a parable Jesus is telling. Delivered to them ten Midas, That was four months wages and said to them, do business till I come. But the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man rule reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money. To be called to him that he might know how each man's had gained by trading. He said, Do business back in verse 13. Now he says, I expected you to do some horse trading. But now I want you to give an account. I want to know know how you did with this business of trading. Verse 16. Then came the first saying, Master. Your Midas has earned ten Midas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a little thing. By the way, we're in chapter 19. Back in chapter 16, he called handling money a little thing. That's one of the areas we need self-control in. And Jesus says, that's a little thing. And if you learn to master that little thing, you'll get great reward. So he says to this servant, it was a little thing to me that you went out and doubled your money. So he says to him in verse 17, you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. Verse 18, and the second one came saying, master, you're a Midas has earned five Midas. Likewise, he said to him, yes, you should be over five cities. By the way, did you notice any difference between what he said to the first guy and what he said to the second? What's the difference? Well done. done. So the first one got praise and a reward, and the second one got a reward. Verse 20, then another came saying, Master, here is your mitah, which I have kept, put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you, because you are an astute man, astute man, and collect what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. Now what did he call the other servants? What did he call them? Good. And what is this one? What? Wait, 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 wait. What did he do? Nothing. That's what you have to do to be classified as wicked. Do nothing for the Lord. He said, you knew, verse 23, why then did you not put money in the bank Back up in verse 13, he said, go do business. In verse 15, he said, by trading, now he says, in the bank, that at my coming, I might collect it with interest. I expected you to make money on the money I gave you. By the way, this really argues for playing the stock market, but that's another problem. Uh, You shouldn't play the stock market. You should wisely invest in the stock market. But I speak as a financial advisor, not as a pastor. But as a financial advisor, and I was one once, I use this passage to say you ought to be investing money, you ought to be saving money, book of Proverbs, and you ought to be investing it. I mean, Jesus says that's so basic, that's so elementary, I'm going to use it as an illustration because everybody ought to know that. And most people need self-control because they're living above their means, not below their means, so they are spending more than they make, and then they get deep in debt, and then they're paying interest on top of paying for the thing, and that is the worst thing you can do with money is pay somebody else interest to use their money to live on. How'd I get off on that? I didn't mean to. (laughs) But it does fit the idea of self-control, does it not? Yeah. I can tell you a story. I don't think I've ever told this story. I didn't intend to tell this story, but it's come up, so I'm going to stop and tell the story. When I got out of seminary, I started traveling as a speaker. I had an old car, and so I bought a new another car. It was a used car. I had somebody co-sign for me because I was a student. I didn't have any credit. And... Uh, this is a long time ago, but I bought a year-old car and paid $2,000 for it. You can understand how long ago that was. Actually, uh, I had to borrow uh, 1500 because they gave me 500 on trade-in. But I paid those people back $2,000. And I decided, what? I paid those people back almost 25% to borrow money? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to drive this car until I drive it in the ground. And then I'm going to save money and pay cash for my next car. I'm in my 20s when this happened. So I drove that car. And it, I mean, it was a Chevy. And back in those days, they only lasted 90,000 miles. And the thing blew up. And matter of fact, I'm not mechanically inclined. Uh, But I rebuilt the motor just so I could learn how to put that thing together. Besides, I couldn't afford to have somebody else do it. And, and I drove that car 134,000 miles, and some lady ran a stop sign, and my car was totaled, and I had to buy another car, but I didn't have enough money saved up. So that time, I had to borrow money again, $500, and I paid it back in a year. And then I took the car payment and put it in a savings account and paid myself. From that day till this, I have paid cash for every car I've ever owned you have any idea how much money I've saved? So I think, I think that what's undergirding this passage is some common sense about money, and it takes discipline to do that, and self-control, which is woven in and out all of this. And I didn't mean to get into the saving and investing, but you need to do it. That's the... Jesus recognized that is so much common sense. I don't have to convince you of that. I'm going to use it as an illustration. Now back to my point. I don't rarely chase rabbits, but that one was fun. All right, verse 24. Some people thought so. And he said to those, take the mitah from him and give it to him that has ten mitas." And they said to him, Master, he has ten Midas. You're going to give mine to him? And Jesus said, For I say to you, verse 26, that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away from him when he doesn't do anything for the kingdom of God. You're going to end up hatless." And if I give you a hat and told you to weave another one and you didn't do it, I'm going to take your hat and give it to somebody else. That's what he said. By the way, there's one more verse in here in this parable. And bring those that were enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. So there are three kinds of people in this passage. Enemies who said we don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. He's the master in this parable. Secondly, servants who were good servants who worked for the Lord. And thirdly, uh, wicked servants who did not do anything for the Lord. Now, here is my point. Jesus clearly taught that Some are going to rule and reign with him in the kingdom. Is that what this passage teaches? As clear as the nose on your face. Now, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And look at verse 12. If we endure, we shall reign with him. I don't have time to go through all this passage, but he's talking about enduring suffering, which is evident from verse 10, where he uses the same Greek word for endure. So the point is that if you bear up and endure hard times, then you will reign with him. So if you suffer for Christ in the present, you will reign with Christ in present. The future. All right. One more passage. Turn to Revelation chapter 3 and look at verse 21. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in the throne as I also overcome and sit down with my father on his throne. Clearly talking about reigning. 2 Timothy 2.12 says we will reign with him if we endure. And Revelation 3.21 says we will sit with him on his throne. We'll reign with him if we overcome. Now, I'm going to give a whole message on overcoming next time. So I'm not going to go into this now. I just want to point it out that what I want to point out about this verse is that we reign with him. Now, here's what's going on in these passages. What's going on very simply is, is that if we serve the Lord, if we do what he told us to do, we will reign with him. And some are going to rule over ten cities, and some are going to rule over five, and some are going to be hatless and street cleaners. That's the picture. Somebody has said, just as God sought a bride for Adam, so he sought a bride for his son Jesus Christ. He has chosen to prepare a companion who would be able to share his son's rule over the universe. Someone who would enjoy his domain. The bride would be loved, honored, and invited to join Christ on the throne of the universe. In other words, we will reign with him. Now I want to give you an illustration. Just real simple. It happens in every presidential administration. I'm going to happen to use the last one because it's fresh, but it occurs in every presidential election. At one point in the 2016 presidential election, there were 17 Republican candidates, one of which was Donald Trump. He was a businessman, not a politician. One of the others had already collected over $100 million. Others had qualifications. Here was this businessman. Who was going to back him? The first person in Congress to come out and publicly say, I'm going to support Donald Trump for president, was Jess Sessions of Alabama. Well, lo and behold, as you know, Donald Trump won, and a news report I heard was talking about the fact that Jeff Sessions was the first person in Congress to support Donald Trump, and the question was asked, what position will he have in the new administration, now that's a very perceptive question. It happens in every presidential. You support me, and I'll put you on my staff. Isn't that sort of the idea? The answer in this case, because he was the first and the loudest and the longest, he said, any position he wants. Thought that was cute. But that's what's going on. Let me tell you about the future administration of the universe. It's going to be by the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And you support him and serve him now, and you will serve in his administration later. You'll be rewarded. Now, I have talked about other rewards. I am simply emphasizing today that there is a reward of ruling and reigning with him we shall receive crowns. Now there are a couple of questions I haven't answered, so I want to close by just saying a couple of things. One is the book of Revelation says we're going to cast all of our crowns at his feet. And I don't doubt that that's going to happen. But as someone has said, but obviously we have imperishable crowns. They're never going to perish and they're going to be ours. So maybe we cast them at his feet and he gives them back to us. But this I know, whether they represent ruling or not, I don't know. But this I do know, The one thing I can say for emphatic certain is that some are going to rule. Luke 19. So let me uh, sum all this up by saying that this little discussion today reveals some of the requirements for rewards and reveals some of the nature of rewards. So let me sum it all up. What are the requirements? Well, as we've seen in previous messages, doing whatever you do as unto the Lord, Colossians 323 through 25, not loving others who love you back, but loving your enemies, uh, doing what is good, lending without any hope of getting anything in return, Luke 6, 35. Even a small service, as giving such as giving a cup of water in the name of a prophet, Will receive a great reward uh, being persecuted for Christ's sake Matthew 5 12 and add that to the list what we've discussed today enduring trials living a righteous life and ministering to others because you exercise self-control and endured suffering so those are the requirements all the way from giving a cup of water to enduring persecution, everything you do, if it is done as unto the Lord, Colossians 3, you will get a reward, a crown and possibility of ruling and reigning with him in the kingdom. But what is the nature of the reward? Well, I've looked at some of those in previous messages. You'll recall I said we're going to have praise, Pleasure, enter into the joy of the Lord. One of the crowns is the crown of rejoicing. Power, and I mean by that authority over some cities. Possessions, set up for yourself treasure in heaven. And to that list, we can add crowns and ruling and reigning with the Lord, which is the same thing as power and authority. All right. One last observation. You know, there's a sense in which life is a paradox, isn't it? The Lord gives us life, and they ask for it back. He gives us time and opportunity. And then he says, now I want you to use all that for me. He gives us material possessions. And he says, hey, I want you to give a portion of that back to me. Wow. I heard a preacher recently say, the calling of God requires sacrifice. You know, to really get at this, you're going to have to practice some self-control and sacrifice. You're going to have to sacrifice some of your comfort, some of your time, some of your money. Let me tell you from years of experience, you cannot minister to people without it costing you. Time, money, energy, all kinds of things. I've talked to people so much in one day, I went home and just collapsed in bed. It costs. That's why most people don't do it, because we're about comfort and convenience. So let me tell you your hat's going to reveal what you did. How many thorns, I mean, how many stars you're going to have in your crown? The Bible doesn't talk like that. It talks about getting the crown. But it does talk about how many cities you may get. So instead of stars, maybe we should be talking about cities. He's telling us something, that the more we serve, the more we sacrifice, the more we exercise self-control, the greater will be our reward. Because here's the point. If you give your life, you give your energy and your time and you buy up those opportunities and you you sacrifice yourself to serve other people, you're not losing, you're winning. But you may not win until you get to the judgment seat of Christ. So you want to win? Want a crown? Want to rule? you ought to. Then you need to serve the Lord with all that that's involved. There's an old parable, a myth actually, that illustrates what I'm trying to say. I've heard it several different ways, but this is one version I've heard recently. It goes something like this. There was a poor beggar sitting beside the road begging a handout. It was a lonely road, wasn't well-traveled, so he didn't see much traffic and didn't get much in his little bowl. And one day he heard coming from a distance something he recognized as horses and a chariot with an entourage, and he knew that would be the king, and he thought, oh, oh, the king could give me a bushel of food. Sure enough, the king came to the spot where the beggar was beside the road, stopped the horses, got down off the chariot, stood before the beggar, and said, give me your rice. The beggar was shocked. He couldn't imagine, so he took one grain of rice And gave it to the king and the king turned to him and said is that all you can give me and now the beggar was getting a little irritated and he took one more grain of rice and he gave it to the king they went through that kind of scenario until the beggar had given the king five grains of rice after that he got back in the chariot and drove off and the beggar stood sat on the side of the road, couldn't imagine why the king would do such a thing, put his hand in the bowl, and there was something hard in there. And he poured out all the rice, and he saw there were five gold nuggets. And he thought, oh, I should have given him the whole bowl. What we give the Lord is but a grain of rice. And what we get back in return is eternal gold. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for giving us the gift of eternal life and the opportunity to live an abundant life because we give ourselves away in the cause of your Son in order to minister to others. Lord, may the Spirit of God indelibly impress this truth upon our hearts that we might learn to serve sacrificially and exercise self-control so that we may hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Jesus' name, amen.